Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Today, we have a question about a piece of Tempe history. My name is Rebecca Michaels, and I'm from Glendale, Arizona. And I was wondering if I could learn more about the history of the amusement park named Legend City. What is the story behind Legend City? Legend City was Arizona's first and only major theme park. And, well, its history is as wild as the Wild West. Producer Taylor Seeley will fill you in. If someone were to ask you, like, what's the legend of Legend City in kind of a sentence, what would you say? The legend of Legend City is... Uh, our very own Disneyland here in Phoenix. This is a story of a man chasing his dreams. The man was Lewis Crandall. The dream was Legend City. But please, don't get too excited. Let's start from the beginning. The man you just heard from is John Buker, and I went to his house in Peoria to talk to him about Legend City. Hi, Taylor. Hi. Oh my gosh, you're in a Legend City shirt and everything. Come on in. Thank you. John wrote a book on Legend City that published in 2014, and his house felt like a mini museum of the park. Wow. This is some of my Legend City stuff I got out for. It was full of memorabilia, photos, ticket stubs, trinkets from the gift shop, everything you could imagine, plus everything you couldn't imagine, too. I love my Legend City spoon. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about the start of Legend City and how it began. Well, it all began with a man named Louis Crandall, who was a local uh, artist, and he owned his own advertising agency, and he became uh, deeply enthralled with Disneyland when it first opened back in the 50s. And he made many trips back and forth to Disneyland. And he became convinced that Phoenix should have its own Disneyland-style park. Disneyland had opened in Anaheim, California in July of 1955. And by 1961, Lewis Crandall was ready to make it happen in Arizona, too. He drew up the plans. He put together a board of supervisors, they sold stock, they got the uh, necessary financing, and he actually got the park built in the early 60s. The groundbreaking was in 1960, at the end of 61, and the park opened in June of 1963. June 29th, 1963, 10.45 a.m., opening day. There was an official ceremony where mayors from seven Arizona cities were present. The next day's Arizona Republic ran a story with the headline, Legend City Park Opens with a Bang. This was a big moment. Theme parks were just beginning at the time. John Buker said Legend City was the fifth largest theme park in the country when it opened. And sure, carnivals and fairs had existed, but those were all random rides put together with no connection or story. Lewis Crandall wanted something different. He wanted something Western. 
Well, it was it was uniquely Arizonan on the Phoenix-Tempe border south of Papago Park on Washington Street. And if you look at the map, he selected that particular plot of land because it had two ravines in it that he could use to create a lagoon and his river ride. And he, he just thought that that was just topographically ideal for his park. Tell me about what you would see when you walked in. It was called the Gay 90 section. The Gay 90s was a nostalgic phrase referring to the 1890s, kind of like the Roaring 20s or the Swinging 60s. And it was, there was a huge fountain, and then it was just an array of different shops. It was, you know, somewhat similar to Main Street in Disneyland on a much smaller scale, of course. There was a penny arcade, and they had the Legend City Marching Band who would march around the fountain and perform. Student musicians were also part of the Golden Palace Saloon Entertainment Venue, which was later renamed the Red Garter. They were called the Copper Tones Barbershop Quartet. After you passed through the gay 90s and visited the saloon, you could check out the park's rides. Like Disneyland, the 87-acre park was split into different sections. There was Boomtown, Legends of Tomorrow, Indian Village, Mexican Village, a modern section, and Ghost Town. One of the crowd favorite rides was the Lost Dutchman Mine Ride. John Buker told me you'd go downhill into this dark mine shaft. But at one point in the ride, you, you came outside again into a graveyard, which was really spooky at nighttime. It was a great ride. A lot of people enjoyed it. To cool off in the hot Arizona summers, you could hop on the river ride. Here's some fun audio from that. You'll never come back. You'll never see civilization. I never come back. No one ever comes back. The park also attracted a lot of celebrities. People like Leslie Gore, the singer behind the song It's My Party, visited Legend City for a back-to-school bash. You also had, of course, the famous comedy pair Wallace and Ladmo, who performed there regularly. All the kids are with Ladmo on the train. There they go. What's your understanding of the first couple months or so of the park opening? Well, it created a lot of uh, buzz in Phoenix. It was, it, there was a lot in the, about it in the press, and there was a you know, certain level of excitement. And uh, people came out when it first opened, even though, of course, it was hot. But there were two problems. The first was that they were not getting the numbers of people that they had projected coming through the turnstiles. And at the same time, they were immediately having some financial difficulties. Between John Buker and various news clippings I found from back then, the failure of the park pretty much boils down to this. There weren't enough people. The weather wasn't great. Big shocker, I know. And unfortunately, there was some financial mismanagement. Legend City ended its first season in 1963 with a $250,000 loss. And this was a big deal to the approximately 10,000 local stockholders. Ultimately, a little after a year, Lewis Crandall left the park. He packed up his wife and kids and moved to Utah and ended his ownership of Legend City. Legend City would continue to close intermittently in 1974 and 1975 to deal with financial turmoil, but leaders simply said to the public that the season had ended. It wasn't until 1966 that the bankrupt park officially closed to the public. This was not just the end of a season. 
In an Arizona Republic article from 1969, Crandall blamed the failures on the park's management company, Jerry Park. He said, quote, If I had been left in the driver's seat, it could have worked. But I had no say in the management after the park was opened. We had internal problems, and the directors made decisions I didn't agree with. Lewis Crandall died in 2016 at age 87, but I found one interview with him that was done 50 years after Legend City opened, and you can hear in his voice how passionate he was about the park. Disney people, the, the, the men that built Disneyland, took an interest in what the little guy in, in Phoenix, Arizona was trying to do, and they just couldn't wait to be a part of it. And they came over, these men that, that Walt Disney used to design Disneyland, and I hired them. I spoke to Lewis's son, Louis Crandall, who lives in Utah, about when his dad left Legend City. He said his father was a Steve Jobs sort of type, very innovative, but also a little stubborn, particularly about the park's Western theme. So when investors and others involved in Legend City wanted to put in these futuristic steel sky rides where you could see the whole park beneath you, he was not happy. My father was very much against this. He said, that's, that is not what, what this is. This is a Western theme park. It's, it's going to have a train around it, but you're not going to go over it in some ride that does not look like a Western something. But the investors kept saying, we need this. You're going to need the roller coaster. You're going to need these. And he says, no, we're, we're going to go the canoes and we're going to go the old uh, cars. And we're going to, he just had his idea. So already he was already kind of in hot water with them. So the investors at the end said, we're doing it. And my father says, if you do that, I won't have enough money to pay the employees. In fact, at one point, the park's finances were so bad, park leaders didn't even have enough money to print financial statements for its shareholders. The park's financial failures devastated Lewis Crandall. Years after, he was quoted as saying, it was the blow of my life when Legend City went under. I lost everything I had. But this was not the end of the park. Three years later, in May of 1969, Sam Schoen, the owner of U-Haul, bought Legend City. And he came to the rescue. He invested millions of dollars, bought new rides, fixed the park up. John wrote in his book that Schoen sank millions of dollars into Legend City. He purchased fun carnival-type rides from the Pacific Ocean Park in Santa Monica and really revamped the setting. In fact, many of the Western rides and attractions that were present at the 1963 opening were gone or redesigned at the second opening. And so it became more of an amusement park more than a theme park. It started losing its original thematic conception that Lewis Crandall had for it, and, and that trend continued throughout the rest of Legend City's lifetime. Louis Crandall Jr. said he never saw his father step foot in Legend City ever again after he left. But the park carried on, all the while losing its thematic conception. And after four years of ownership under Sam Schoen, the park was again struggling financially. John Buecher told me it was still viable, but it wasn't necessarily thriving, and it was a lot of work. So the U-Haul owner sold it. Okay, so then who took ownership of it once the U-Haul owners were done with it? It was bought by a company called Continental Recreation Incorporated. And this was a subsidiary of a Japanese amusement ride corporation. 
Continental Recreation Inc. was the shortest-lived owner of Legend City, taking over for just under two years, from March 1973 to December 1974. That year, the park closed again for an extended period of time. So at this point, this was the second time it officially closed to the public. Right, correct. Okay, so people are starting to get used to it opening and closing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so then tell me, I think it was the third and final time it opened, right? Right. It was purchased by uh, Bill Capel Sr., who was, they were a, sort of a family of carnival people. The Capels operated Legend City from 1976 to 1983. That was the longest anyone had ever run the park. And they were fairly successful, turning a profit most of the time. But eventually, the park became worn down and even unsafe. The Tempe Fire Department thought it was a fire hazard, and they did have a fire there in the late 70s. But despite its dilapidation, and despite the fact that it had certainly lost a lot of its Western roots by the end, people did still love the park. When I began researching Legend City, I started by posting a few questions in online chat forums and Facebook groups. People told me that they had the best memories there, riding rides and hanging out with friends. Don't get me wrong, there were definitely some who thought it was an overrated park, but they were few and far between. Overall, it was this huge teen hotspot where sometimes people would go to concerts at Compton Terrace, which was a venue that opened at the park in the late 70s. And fun fact, Compton Terrace was actually opened by Stevie Nicks' dad, Jess Nicks. A lot of people also shared memories of seeing Wallace and Ladmo perform and winning the ever-so-esteemed Ladmo bag, which was just a paper bag filled with sugary treats and toys, but, you know, magical for a kid. I also received messages from people about how they'd sneak into the park to hang out. Supposedly, the young high school and college-aged employees would throw some pretty crazy after-hour parties, too. One of my favorite comments came from Phoenix resident Chad Parsley, who told me despite being allowed on a ride that he was way too small for, and despite getting tossed and tumbled and bloodied up on this ride, he still loved Legend City. It was a pleasant park. It wasn't, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, complain about Arizona being hot and uh, who would have an amusement park here. And I don't remember the park being like hot or cold, even if it was relatively crowded. You could get on the rides over and over. I remember the staff being nice. I don't remember anybody, you know, there being, you know, rude or, you know, I mean, it, it was always just a pleasant experience, you know, no matter who I was with in general, it was a lot of fun and you didn't want to leave. Legend City closed on Sunday, September 4th, 1983. The Capels sold the land to Salt River Project. 1963 to 1983. 20 years long or short, depending on your perspective. For sure, 20 years of off and on. 20 years of battles over the park's thematic integrity and finances. 20 years of memories made. In John Buecher's book on Legend City, the first line of his introduction sums it up perfectly. The story of Legend City is not, in fact, a happy one when viewed in terms of its persistent financial turmoil, squandered potential, and ultimate fate. But the passage of time 
has a way of softening perceptions, and hindsight has been rather kind to the ill-fated Phoenix Tempe Amusement Park. Hey, it's me, Kayla again. Wow, Taylor, that was quite a stroll down memory lane. I'll admit, not my own memories, uh, but interesting nonetheless. What was the most fun for you about making this episode? There were honestly so many fun parts about making this episode, but if I had to boil it down to one thing, I would just say discovering all of the content. Most of the audio that you heard in this episode was actual audio from the park. So down to the rides, to the quartet, to you know the different bands playing, it was almost entirely original music from Legend City. That is awesome. Is there anything that didn't make it into the episode? Two fun facts. First, in 2013, we in the Valley actually hosted a 50th anniversary celebration of Legend City. The Arizona Republic ran a front page article about it, and even Governor Jan Brewer signed an official proclamation of the event. So that was really cool. The other fun fact is the dog you heard barking when I was interviewing John Buecher was actually the dog that used to belong to Lewis Crandall. So when Lewis Crandall passed away, John Buecher actually got his dog. Wow. If someone's really interested and they want to find out more about Legend City, where should they look? Well, first off, the man I interviewed, John Buecher, did write the book on Legend City, so of course you can check that out. It's one of those cool sepia-toned books that you can kind of find in Walgreens or different stores, also on Amazon. And then you can go to his website, legend-city.com. Plus, there is also a Legend City Facebook group that is really awesome. Well, that's it for this week. Did you ever visit Legend City? Share your memories with us by tweeting at us at Valley101Pod. If you have more questions about forgotten places in Metro Phoenix, submit them to us at valley101.azcentral.com. As always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you next week. Never to return again. again. So goodbye. Farewell. So long forever. Bum, bum, goodbye, my Coney Island. Goodbye, my Coney Island. Goodbye, my Coney Legend Coney City, baby. baby. Farewell, my old true love, true love. Honey, I'm gonna go away and leave you. Never to see you any. Never, never, ever see you anymore. I'm gonna live upon that. Choo-choo train, never to return again. again. So goodbye, fare well. Adios, amigos. Goodbye, my Coney Island. Goodbye, my Coney Island. Goodbye, my Coney Island. Goodbye, my Coney Island.